Hello and welcome to Helpline on Feed, Play, Love with Mothercraft nurse Chris Minogue. She's here to answer all your questions, whether it's about babies not sleeping as much as you'd like them to, and most babies don't sleep as much as you'd like them to, or if it's toddler behaviour, sibling rivalry, all those things that can challenge us as parents. Chris is here to answer your questions, and you can ask those questions through a number of ways. If you're watching us live on Facebook now, just pop your question below in the comments or we have a helpline group on Facebook that you can post your questions in. Just have a look for that. And also, if you're listening via the podcast, you can email us at helpline at theparentbrand.com.au. Hello, Chris Minogue. How are you? I'm really well, really well. Joining us again via Zoom and... uh, Yes. When are we going to get you back in the studio? Oh, well, I'm back to everything else. It's, it's, it's up well, to you. <laughs> well, it is. Well, I'm just not sure that we've got 1.5 metres distance in the studio. Ah. So we might have to hold off a bit longer. Uh, but let's get stuck in. We have quite a few questions here. This one comes from Jacqueline from our helpline group. She says, hi, Chris. How do you introduce cow's milk to a one-year-old who doesn't drink out of a bottle? He has a B-Box sippy cup, which he drinks water out of because when I give him a normal cup, he just plays with the water, blowing raspberries in it and tossing it. Also, how much water should a one-year-old be drinking? I still breastfeed him in the morning on waking and before his bedtime. Thanks. So the milk thing, I mean, lots of, questions, lots of people, but I wouldn't be introducing it in a bottle. He's a one-year-old. So I'd be introducing it in his B-Box because that's what he's drinking his water out of. So maybe a different coloured one. And I just offer him about 50 mils in his bee box with his breakfast, lunch and dinner and let him take what he likes from it. And some kids don't take much. Other kids love it. Some like it warmed a little bit. Um, others don't. They'll take it cold. But they're usually the summer babies that will take it cold because it's quite refreshing. So just offering him a little bit with his meals should do the trick. And over time, he'll increase it if he needs to increase it. So no real need to introduce a bottle. Water, um, they generally don't take a lot of water. I think people think they should be taking loads and loads of water. Um, But usually they take enough water to their own needs. So um, usually most of the time at the moment, you'll see the parents might leave their little sippy cups in the lounge room and the child just goes up and has a drink and goes up and has a drink. So I would think it's not about the amount. I think it's about the independence of knowing when they're thirsty and going to get it and for us to put it somewhere accessible for them to do that. So if not, if they're not mobile enough to do that, then maybe you know, every three, three and a half hours, I'd probably give them a sip and see if they wanted it. Otherwise, they'll let you know if they want some. This next question comes from Jo Sloan. She says, hi, guys. My six and a half month old self settles during the day, no problem, but struggles to do it at night and then wakes frequently and often needs to be picked back up. She has a pretty consistent routine within reason and gets three hours day sleep most days. Room is dark, warm, white nose, noise, etc. And she eats well. Any ideas? So we see this a lot where the babies will self-settle in the day to go to sleep, but it's the resettle that is the problem at night. So I'm assuming that she goes to sleep at around 7, 7.30 as easily as she does in the day. 
and then it's the waking up and the frequency of the waking up. So it's about a resettle, not the to settle. Um, so what we need to do in this window is work out what's happening for her when she does wake up. So do we go in there often to her? Do we feed her because she's awake? Do we give her the time to self-settle? And come up with a plan where we're consistent in what we're doing. So it's reasonable that a six-month-old would have a feed overnight. So let's say we are trying to get her to go six hours before she had a feed. So between when she goes down and that six-hour window to have a feed, then we're going to try and get her to self-settle. Now, the next things we need to look at is where is she sleeping? Is she still in the room with mum and dad? Maybe when they're coming in the room to go to bed, they're disturbing her sleep. So you can look at that aspect. So you can look at warmth. So is she waking because she's too cold? Not common generally, but is she too cold? Or is she just waking and we're going to her too far? So they're the things that we'd look around. So we tick off the bed one, we tick off the warmth one. The next thing is, are we just going and not giving her the chance to try and resettle? So leaving her for a couple of minutes, not long, but a couple of minutes to try and self-settle. And then what I would be doing is going in and helping her. So starting with some patting and getting her to calm by the patting. If that's not working, she's getting herself more worked up, a quick cuddle back down and patting again. And, and making sure that you're talking to your partner about this and that you're both doing the same thing. Because often if the partner can go in in the first instance, the baby doesn't expect that maybe the mum comes in and feeds. So it's about aligning it so that the, the method that you're using is consistent and usually you'll see an improvement. All right. This one is an interesting one. I'm very curious as to your answer on this one. Okay. <laughs> Belinda from Facebook Live says, how do you cope with a four-year-old who talks constantly, and I mean constantly, all in caps? Because, um, oh, okay. So talks at them constantly. This doesn't take a breath. So I think it's about putting the regulations in to say, okay, we've had that conversation, we're moving on. Now, the easiest way to look at this is a bit like if she was going to preschool or daycare, they would have set times for talking, as in, you know, somebody comes up to the child and has a chat while they're in play. Sometimes it's formal, we're reading a story, you can come up and talk now. And sometimes it's about giving their own space and creating the space that they can be on their own. So I think the hard thing is um, when they're talking constant as a parent, you'd probably think I need to talk back to them. But sometimes it's okay to say, actually, we're just going to have quiet time now. <laughs> and it's about that. And I think it's a little bit about directing, directing her play a little bit. So maybe she's just a bit lost and a bit bored and she's walking around and she wants someone to talk to. But actually, I think if you set her up for the day and say things like, we're going to make muffins at 10 o'clock for our morning tea. So you can go and play now. And then when you're making the muffins, you're really engaging her in that time that you're making the muffins. Okay, now it's going to be quiet time. Do you want to get some books to read? Mummy's going to read a book or, or chop up for dinner. So really directing it so it's not constant. 
Now, the really silly thing is that she's constantly talking to you at four and at 14, you will not be able to get her to say one word. <laughs> so I suppose it's about finding that balance. But what I would do if it's just constant talking at you is I would direct what she's doing. So I'd really know. So we're going to go to the park later. Um, when you're in the car, you can say, let's listen to this music for a little while so that you can get those little downtime, so you can get a little bit of, you know, mental calmness before she's back talking to you. And when you're with her, you really engage her so that, yeah, she's getting everything she needs at that point. But it doesn't surprise me that four-year-olds talk constantly because they, they sort of do. They knock <laughs> around all the time. And it's just, I think, finding a, a gentle way of just moving those sequences so you can have some downtime. This question comes from Alexandra from our Facebook Live. Hi, Alexandra. She says, how do I get my five-year-old daughter to drink more? She suffers from chronic constipation. Okay. So if she's got chronic constipation, then hopefully you're under your GP and talking about this as well. Because I think people think if they've got chronic constipation that it's all about fluid, but it's also about diet. So it's about the fibre level in their diet. So the first thing is, if you're having a real struggle getting her to, to take fluid, I think of creative ways of doing it, like making little icy poles with her and getting her to drink, you know, eat those because that's fluid. But in, in the end, it's probably just as much about her diet as it is about the fluid that she's taking. And maybe she's eating too much just on the surface level. Maybe she's eating too much and we need to offer her um, fluid before she eats a meal. And also I'd be quite conscious that I wasn't feeding her too frequently because she's just filling up on food and therefore she's not getting to the point where she'll drink the water. But that's very much on the surface. And if you have chronic constipation in a child, it's usually, it will be um, sort of dealt with through a good GP or even a paediatric um, uh, gastroenterologist, depending on how severe the problem is. But I'd be offering water before the meals. I'd only be giving her three meals so that if she got hungry in between, I'd offer the water first. And I'd be making some icy poles like out of, uh, well, water, but you might put a little bit of cordial in it just to flavour it a little bit um, or some fruit ones that she could get um, some fluid out of and get her participating in it and that will give her extra fluid as well. This question, oh, wait, I have an uh, added to that one, sorry. She's been on... 10 different laxatives and things like prunes juice it started at three months yeah. seeing a gp and gastroenterologist yeah. oh that's tough yeah. alexandra so that's you might even have to look at a dietitian as well and making sure you know because that that bowel isn't it's it's sluggish is one word for on. it but it's yeah that's right so offering the water beforehand is at least going to in, entice her in into drinking before she eats yeah yeah. Wow. All right. Well, good luck with that, Alexandra. It does, definitely sounds like a tough situation. This is a question from Chantelle. She says, I have an almost two-year-old who wakes up frequently and will only sleep after having a feed. Lately, he refuses to sleep unless he's on me and on the boob. Sorry, that um, just lost that question. <laughs> All right. Look, let's just... 
Uh, let's just move on to Trina. She's on the Facebook Live. She says, hi, Chris. How late should I be letting my two years, four month old go down for his nap? If he goes down too late, he seems to want to sleep way too late in the day. If he naps between 12 and 2, he's fine. But sometimes he won't go down until 12.30, 12.45. Then he seems to not want to get up until 3 and that's just too late. That's from Trina on Facebook yeah. Live. So I think when they get into this tricky stage where they sort of want some sleep but it's too much sleep for them, I really regulate it. So did you say, Siobhan, that he was two and four months? Uh, yes, exactly. Two and right. four months. So I would probably put him down at 12.30 and get him up at two regardless of what he sleeps. And then he'll go down at 7.30. Or you can put him down at one and get him up at two and he'll go down at 7.30. So it's this funny little stage where he thinks he needs sleep, but if he has sleep, it affects his night going down. So the common area is 12.30 to 1, but the more important part is he's up by 2. Okay. okay. Now let's go back to Chantelle with the two uh -huh. sleeping problem. I have an almost two-year-old who wakes up frequently and will only sleep after having a feed. Lately, he refuses to sleep unless he's on me and on the boob. I'm so exhausted. I can't do the cry-out method. I need something that won't be traumatic for us both. I think I'm starting to get depressed. Any advice would be most appreciated. So that's okay. So this is a this is a really tough one because it's all about contact. So the first question that I would need to ask to direct the answer is how long does she want to breastfeed for? So is she ready to wean him? Is she ready to just have feeds in the day? So this is a crucial part because as the two-year-old gets older, they know how to get what they want. And so we need to be really clear about the lines that we want to draw. And to do that, we can give him comfort in lots of different ways. We can send your partner into him. Um, we can put a skivvy on you and he just doesn't get to the breast. But there will be some crying, but I don't think crying it out in what I think she's talking about is necessary. But it's a bigger conversation. So does she want to just feed him twice in the day? and then not feed him at night, let's assume that's it, then she has to put the guidelines on it. Like any little behaviour with a two-year-old, they're going to push and push and push. So your first stop here is what, am, what do I want to achieve? I want to achieve him sleeping all night without me feeding him. But if you don't care where he sleeps, then I would cuddle him in your bed. I would put him on your partner's side instead of on your side. So you're close by, but not right in contact with the breast area. And you, then if he's in his bed, if you, if you got him in his bed and he want to stay in the bed, then you're going to have to give comfort, pick him up, give him a cuddle, put him down. But the no is the breast. And in this case with a two-year-old, it's really hard to wean them off. So as you know, with a two-year-old, maybe usually always means yes. So you have, to, you have to be really clear about the lines that you're drawing so that maybe, maybe I'll give him a feed at two in the morning to a two-year-old is maybe you'll give me a feed all the time. So this is a really tricky one. 
and this is it easier to go um sorry to interrupt chris i'm just wondering without those parameters um we don't have from her um would you suggest with a two-year-old going cold turkey or you would always do little steps if she was if she was ready to give up completely it is probably easy to do it cold turkey because then the two of them if if there's a partner around can be really consistent but gentle with what they're getting through to that child so that's the first conversation because how are we going to tell him what it is it can't be a maybe so if she says i really want to breastfeed him at the end of the day we've had big days and we like that cuddle and the snuggle that's fine she can carry that one feed but she has to be clear that that's what it is. And the beauty of a two-year-old, I suppose, is you can tell them and say, okay, now we're only having one feed. And they can jump up and down, but you can be quite clear with your language, whereas a one-year-old, you could say it, but they're, not, they're, they're on a whole different plan. So I think this one would be worth a conversation with them to build up some steps and some confidence that they could give him cuddles and snuggles and comfort in other ways, but it's not about the breast. And, and that's, uh, that's, I think, is the first thing she needs to do is work out what is she prepared to do, okay? But it, that, she's right. It doesn't need to do control crying, but this one's a bit of a tough one because it's an emotional state as well between the two-year-old and her as opposed to a, I'm just weaning from six feeds to five feeds or something with a younger baby. But happy to help them if, they, if she wants to call in in another way or use our um, sleep school yep. to get a bit more information to help her. Okay. Well, that's good advice. We'll pop, um, Chantelle, if you're watching, we will get the um, details for the sleep school up in the notes of this episode. Yeah. If you'd like to book in with one of our experts, Chris is one of yeah. them, of course. We have a question from Lana from the Facebook Live. She says, good morning, ladies. My son recently turned two and has started telling me when he needs to do a poo. He has been telling me after doing one for a while now. He doesn't recognize when he needs to wee yet. How should I approach starting toilet training? Is it too early? Is it best to wait until he's a little older and the weather is warmer? I'm so confused on how to start and what to do. <laughs> I don't want him to make anxious about starting training either. Thanks. And that's from Lana. Hi, Lana. Well, I think a lot of people with two-year-olds would recognise this behaviour. And the, the main thing you need to recognise is, does he tell you after he's done a poo? So that's just him realising what his body does and how it feels. But to toilet train, he needs to be able to recognise that feeling hold and then get to the toilet, which is quite a concept you know, big concept. So generally speaking, children toilet train much better closer to two and a half. And for us, that means that the weather would be warmer and we could train him in both doing a wee and doing his poos at the same time. So if he tells you, mummy, I need to do a poo and you check and there is no poo, it might be worth sitting him on the toilet at that time and saying, would you like to try and do it on the toilet just for the experience of what he's going to do? But I suspect that what he's doing is telling her after the poo and therefore he's realising that his body is changing and he knows what that feels like and he's going to toilet train really well at two and a half. So come back into this space at two and a half and we can give you hints on how to do it. Oh, isn't that a nice thing to say? He's going to toilet train well. <laughs> no one ever said that to me. <laughs> I don't know. 
No. <laughs> we, we have our next question from Serene. Um, Serena, she says, hi, what's your recommendations on how to drop a toddler nap? a two and a half year old he's yeah. taking one to two hours to go to sleep at night even when we cut his one day nap down to one hour is it time to completely cut the day nap out it certainly does sound like that because of that lengthening of going to sleep at night and so what i do is i grade him down off his sleep over two weeks so for the next week between twelve thirty and one thirty, i accidentally put him in the car and I give him about 40 minutes sleep. And the reason I do it this way is that the sleep isn't as deep in the car and it's a much lighter sleep. So it sort of gets him through that period where he could get very fragile between four and five in the afternoon. And then the next week, what I do is I just put a pillow on the couch and accidentally put his favourite show on and let him just drop off to sleep for about 20 minutes. Again, not into a deep sleep. And then after that, I just got to keep him going. I do it across a weekend where maybe you've got more time to get him through that bit where he's going to get very fragile, which is the four, five, six o'clock in the afternoon. I'd bring his dinner a little bit earlier so he's not so tired when you're trying to give his dinner. I'd bring his bath a little bit earlier and you may need to put him into bed in those very first few days between 6.30 and 7 instead of between 7 and 7.30. And they often, when they drop their sleep completely, will go to sleep very easily for you at seven o'clock. So I think if you give it a little bit of thought and plan it out, you'll just have this nice moment. And you'll only have small meltdowns instead of large meltdowns because it is affecting his night sleep so much. This next question comes from Petra. She says, my 11-month-old seems to be weaning himself off breastfeeding the last few weeks. He's taking less milk at each feed, refuses to lie still and breastfeed and gets distracted at everything. Often, he doesn't even get into a good suckling motion. It's like he just wants the nipple to play with for a short while. Then he's rolling away and cruising off to play. The bedtime breastfeed is the only one he really enjoys anymore. He's eating really well with his solids and sleeping well too, mostly from 7.30pm till 6.30am, with only occasional wakes for comfort through the night. I'm just wondering, if we do wean completely, is it okay to switch straight to giving him cow's milk to drink, or will we need to use formula for a while? I've been told to avoid cow's milk till at least 12 months of age, so I'm unsure. Okay, you can put him on cow's milk. It's only a month away. Um, and what I would do is do a slow wean. So I'd offer him the breast in the morning and I'd offer him cow's milk in his cup with lunch and then I'd offer him his breast feed in the evening and that might actually sort some of the behaviour, the moving around and mucking around. Then I'd drop the morning one. So I'd just get up, give him some milk in his cup and then give him breakfast. Only about 50 mils should be enough. And then he's having two milks. And then when you're ready and feel comfortable, you can wean the last feed off. But no, I wouldn't be giving him a bottle. I wouldn't be giving him formula. I'd just be giving him the cow's milk. Okay. 
Now, um, we probably got time for maybe a few more questions. This one's from Ainsley on Facebook Live. She says, my four-year-old son wakes in the night and 5.30 a.m. is always wanting cuddles. Is there any way I can try and stop this? After eight calls at 5.30 a.m., he starts to cry. I don't want to do control crying. I constantly tell him to use his stuffed toys to cuddle back to sleep and not to call me until his foot clock says awake. And he understands, but in the moment, he always calls. This has been happening for a year and a half, probably when we took his dummy away. Thanks, one very tired mum. I bet you are, Ainsley. And I think this is a tough one because, you know, 5.30 to 6 o'clock isn't that big of a window. But, you know, you have been trying for a year and a half ever so gently and you put up that lovely clock that's going to flick on at 6.30. That never works. Most bright children bring it to you to show you it's not the right colour. So um, I think in this case, you could be a little bit firmer, but you don't need to do control crying. Okay, so before he goes to bed, set up the expectation. So mummy's not coming in in the morning. We stay in our bed till six o'clock, which is reasonable. If you call out, we are not coming to you. So whatever the expectation is that she wants to set for him, it doesn't have to be that so that you can be consistent. So he calls out once, he calls out twice. On the third call out, one of you might get up, go to the door and say, it is time for sleep, roll over and go and put your head down. So we're quite, we're not in trouble, but we're firm with what it is that we're trying to get him to do. The other thing is he's learnt to wake up at 5.30. So the flip side of this is there's a learned ability here at 5.30. And that could be in relation to what time they're putting him to bed, which we don't know. So for his age, I'd probably be putting him to bed around 7.30. And some kids only sleep 10 hours, and that's the 10 hours. So in this case, I think you have to have a plan that's consistent and gives him the message that you're doing well. If he does well and sleeps till 6 o'clock, then tell him, you did well today. You've slept till six o'clock. But in the end, it could be him. You know, it could be his way of sleeping. And until he gets older where he could go to bed maybe at eight o'clock, it's not going to make a lot of difference. Okay? So that's the saddest piece of all the information. (laughs) (laughs) But you have been trying for an hour, for a year and a half. It's a long time. It's a long time for him to be consistently waking at 5.30. So (laughs) I'd I'd have a little plan of, you know, consistency. And if it's not working, you might have to accept that he's a 5.30 bub. Yowch. We've got a question here from Christine. She says, good morning, everyone. I have a two-year-old who is very determined and somewhat stubborn. How do I find the right balance of setting boundaries but also give her enough autonomy to do and accomplish what she wants without squashing her determined personality? (laughs) That's from our Facebook Live. Well, we could talk about two-year-olds for a day and a half, but the whole thing about two-year-olds is that they are self-centred. They're the centre of their own world. and They think they are the world. And we don't want to squash it. And I wouldn't even think that that would be a word that I would be using around a two-year-old. But what we do have to do is regulate them. And there's two big things going on. Transitions are very difficult for them. So when we say, put your shoes on, we're going to the park, they need a good 15 minutes to work that out. So are we rushing them? That's the first thing. 
So you need to know what you're going to fight about. So what's worth it, what's not. So my common one is that I will be consistent with rules with social behaviours and family values, but I'm not going to care whether she's got the shoes on to go to the park. I'll just pack them in the bag and take them because it's not worth the argument. And she'll work it out when she gets to the door and it's cold, she'll work it out. And that allows her to have the experience, to think about the experience and make a decision. And I think the biggest thing or the biggest mistake with two-year-olds is assuming they can do things quickly and they actually need what they call slow transition. So we're going to the park. You'll soon have to put your shoes on. Mummy's going to get your shoes now so we can go to the park. Can mummy help you put your shoes on because we're going to the park? So it's all this big conversation. But what we're doing is transitioning that child into the next thing. If we walk up to them while they're playing and we try and put their shoes on, they're going to have an argument about it. So it's those slow transitions and thinking about the things that are worth regulating for her. And for me, that's social behaviours and family values. Okay. Otherwise you've got to let it go sometimes. (laughs) That's why I think that uh, frozen is the theme of parenting life. Let it go. Let it go. (laughs) We've got time for... We've got time for one last question from Carolina. She says, my nearly three-year-old just hates to share anything, including me. She throws a huge tantrum if her four and six-year-old brothers touch her toys. She's not keen to play with them and share a game or a toy. She quite often snatches toys and doesn't seem to care if she makes the other kid cry. She even hates it when I cuddle her brothers. Is this sense of possessiveness normal? (laughs) What can I do to teach her to share a bit more? That's from Carla. I actually think the concept of sharing is very difficult when they're little. You know, she's got a big brother and a big sister or two big brothers and sisters and they don't have to share some things. So she can't understand why she has to. So what I do in this case is realising that sharing is actually very difficult for them to do and I don't think they get it completely until they're about four or five. So why not give her a box of toys that are hers and she doesn't have to share them? That'd be the first thing. So if her friend's coming over, we say to her, are you willing to share these toys? No. Well, let's put them away in your room so we don't have to share share those toys. Making sure that there's an area in the house where whatever's in that space is everybody's, whether you're four, six, two, doesn't matter. Everybody's in that. So if she's playing with her brother's train set that happens to be in that shared space, she's allowed to actually play with that. Somebody doesn't jump on her and say, no, that's not for you. If any, so we're creating the personal space and we're creating the, the shared um, space within the house. And then if she can't share, then doing a little bit of time out and once she's calmed down, we talk about the experience of sharing. So you had a turn at that book. Now Sarah needs a turn at that book. And when she's finished, you'll have another turn and that turn-taking version. But they're really big concepts. You know, you could probably, with your kids at your age, you're still trying to work the sharing thing out. Oh, yes. So, you know, it's about putting the principles of sharing in there. There are things that you don't have to share. They're your personal things. There are the things that we as a family have that we all share and then you've got to help her through how to share. So time and patience will get you through this bit. 
Yeah. And my daughter, who was the eldest, not the youngest, yeah. totally possessive of me. Still is. Yeah. Still is. It's so. the same. So when she's cuddling her six-year-old, her three-year-old does have to wait. So she needs to say, you'll have your cuddle after I cuddle and then go straight to her and cuddle her. And she's just trying to navigate all that. And it's just taking a bit of time, but consistency will probably help and maturity of the child will definitely help. So time and patience. Oh, yes. That's what parenting's taught me. Yeah, time and patience. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Chris, thank you so much for your Um, help today. It was a pleasure. And just to follow on from what you said earlier um, to, I think, Charlene, one of our um, parents who had a question, if you would like some more help with what you've put here today um, on Helpline or if you think you have a a challenge that is a little bit more complex than answering just a straight question, Babyology Sleep School is um, available to everyone. Basically, Chris is one of our experts. We also have Joe Ryan and Karina Lane. We'll put links in the notes of this episode and also online on Facebook. So if you'd like to book in a one-on-one session, um, then you can actually have a conversation with Chris or one of our other experts and kind of get to the real nitty-gritty of the problem. Uh, We know from doing this program that it's, it's about your family values that Chris was talking about and understanding what you are like as a family to be able to tailor it perfectly to you. Um, So if you'd like to do that, just check out the links. And um, Chris, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure. Next week, we'll have uh, paediatric nurse and sleep consultant, Joe Ryan, and I will see you all next week. Take care. Take care. Bye. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.